I remember that day so well. Uh, that's uh, actually right out in front of our house about 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, one of those is my youngest son and then my daughter's in that video as well. We had no idea when we bought the house we were buying beachfront property. <laughs> But it turned out, and it was great, and, um, and a friend of ours was taking the video, so no, the kids weren't playing alone in the street. So uh, you don't, you know, you, you say sometimes, why don't you go out and play in the street, right? You don't ever do that, so, uh, so that was good. Uh, so we are in the fifth week of our series on rest, and uh, this is actually the second time I've taught. I taught on Sturgis Falls weekend up in Waverly, and, and my teaching is about the role of anticipation in rest. And um, so I, I have to apologize to the folks in Waverly. And by the way, I want to welcome the people in the sanctuary and say hello. I'm glad you guys are watching. But that, that morning that I taught was Sturgis Falls Sunday. And all I could think about was I was anticipating getting back to Cedar Falls and getting some of those mini donuts. <laughs> and it was like the anticipation was so high that it was like I could just smell those donuts all morning. And I, so I told the people in Waverly, I said, we're going to be done early today. <laughs> we're going to get through this quick because I need to go back and get some donuts. Well, today, there's no Sturgis Falls. There's no donuts. There's no anticipation. So we're going to be here a while. Just kidding. Uh, but anticipation is a powerful, powerful force. I want you to think about that for a second. I, like somebody in this room maybe got dragged to church this morning with the promise of lunch. And right now you're just anticipating a brunch or a lunch after the service. And that's what's getting you through this. And uh, I just want to say we're glad that you're here. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, but think about the last great book you read or, or the last great movie you saw and how, how you were pulled along in the story through anticipation. Like, like what's going to happen next? Or you're looking forward to this inspiring ending or this happy ending ending. Our lives are, are the same way. If we aren't being pulled forward by the anticipation that there's something better ahead, if we aren't living in anticipation that there's something really good coming, then maybe all we're left with is this begging question like, is this all there is? Is this as good as it gets? We just have one challenge or one struggle after another. Henry David Thoreau wrote that uh, most people live lives of quiet desperation because they live without hope. And the Apostle Paul tells us that faith, hope, and love are God's greatest gifts of grace. And while love might be the greatest, both love and faith depend on hope. They spring from the hope that lies ahead for us in heaven. That's what the Apostle Paul says. So what is hope? Hope is the anticipation of what lies ahead, of what God has promised for us. Anticipation is a growing certainty. It's an expectancy about things that we can't see right now or we can't grasp or we can't control right now. And it's about the future and yet it's grounded in the past. When followers of Jesus take time to look back and remember and see how God has been present in their lives, how God has, has blessed their lives, how God is working this transformation in their lives, and when they reflect on the promises of what lies ahead, anticipation is born, right? And that anticipation nurtures a confidence 
that something more than just mini donuts is ahead over the horizon. Anticipation is a force with amazing life-giving potential. And this is what makes remembering and reflecting and anticipating such powerful tools for helping us to enjoy this gift of rest that God offers to us. Think about how anticipation works in your everyday life. So we're barely like five weeks into the summer. And how many parents aren't there are already anticipating sending your kids back to school, right? You look back and you remember, you, you, you remember those times. It's like uh, when you could get something done or, or uh, you could just have a little time to yourself or driving through the drive-thru didn't mean a $100 you know, expense. And you just see seven more weeks, and we kind of return to some of this. That, that can help on some of those really hard days. If that doesn't do it for you, think about like workout and diet plans, how they use these before and after pictures, right, to give you a, a glimpse of what you can anticipate looking like <laughs> after you complete the program. Who doesn't want this, right? Instead, sometimes it looks more like this, and you're reminded that all you did was spend $500. <laughs> This power of anticipation is true uh, spiritually as well. When we take time for R&R to remember and reflect on God's work of grace, on his goodness in our lives, on his promises, it produces anticipation of how much more might God have in store for us, both now and in the next life. And this type of anticipation, this hope, it has power to help us to believe and, and to cling to our faith in those moments of life that are just monotonous or those moments that are filled with challenge or struggle or pain or suffering. If the author of the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the perfect model of us for this type of anticipation, he says in chapter 12, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see that anticipation there? Who for the joy set before him. That's what led Jesus, his anticipation of that joy of sitting down again next to his father, helped him to endure and to find the strength to get through the cross. Jesus claimed his future glory through anticipation. And we also can lay hold of God's promise for our future through anticipation. The letter of Hebrews was actually written to a, a group of early Christians who were on the verge of actually turning back, turning away from this message of Jesus and his gift of grace, of, of forgiveness that they didn't deserve. They were undergoing severe persecution by the Jews, and, and so they were thinking we need to just turn back, and we need to go back to the old law and strict observance of this old law. That's the path to find God's favor and to find this forgiveness and to get to this next life that God has promised us. And the author is writing to them to encourage them to say, no, stop, don't turn back. Keep trusting Jesus' life 
and death and resurrection has secured for you a future that is beyond what you can imagine or even ask for. Keep going. Keep trusting in Jesus. And this context is probably why the author reminds them of another group of people that Jesus had made a promise to, that Jesus was rescuing. But these people didn't trust that promise. And therefore, they didn't actually come to enjoy the promise that God had made to them. And you can read all about this in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus and Numbers. And some of you know this story, but I just encourage you to go back and take a look again about how God had, had rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And he'd done it through all of these miracles. He'd send these, these plagues to get Pharaoh convinced to, to release them and, and, and to you know, uh, get them out of slavery. He'd sent uh, frogs and locusts, and he turned water into blood and all these amazing things. He parted the Red Sea. He actually uh, provided food for them in the desert and water for them in the desert. And he was with them, and he led them uh, by, by being a cloud by day and a, and a pillar of, of, of fire by night. And he leads them right up to the doorstep of this land that he had promised to give to them. And they're right on the verge of entering this promise and then Moses had sent some spies in, and the spies return. And they return with these grapes that are on these two poles, like a bunch of grapes that men are carrying. These are a massive grapes, so you know the land is amazing. It's good. But they also come back with the report. All but two of them say that this land devours people. And in fact, the people who live there are huge. We would never be able to defeat these people. And as everyone starts to hear this message, they get discouraged. And they start to, to question and they ask, why would God lead us out into the desert only to leave us here to die? And they turn back from his promise and end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Instead of remembering all that God had done to this point, instead of reflecting on who God is and what he's up to, and anticipating even greater promises ahead. Instead of entering the land of promise and rest, they wander and labor senselessly for 40 years in the desert. See, they chose fear instead of the power of anticipation. And an entire generation dies off in that 40 years. The author of Hebrews is writing to tell us, listen, don't let this be true of us. He says it this way. He says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. 
That's a mouthful. <laughs> Some of you may be sitting there and say, I was tracking with you, Jeff, and then you throw on these run-on sentences that this author wrote, and I'm, I'm lost. And, and, uh, and that's fine. I want to encourage you to go back and actually read the book of Hebrews this week. To interrupt, it'll, it'll make a lot more sense, or at least read the first four chapters, and this, this will make a lot more sense. But I want to boil down to you what, what it is that I want you to take away from this passage this morning in just, in just three quick points. And that's this. God's rest is available, and it's on its way. We find God's rest when we anticipate more and fear less. And this anticipation requires a little R&R. It requires time for remembering and reflecting. And these flourish best in times of rest. First of all, God's rest is available and on its way. A quick story, my wife and I have been working on getting our house ready to sell um, for, since spring break. We're not moving anywhere, just downsizing and resizing. And um, so this was like a lot of busy weekends of painting and repairing and texturing and cleaning and moving stuff to storage and weed whacking and all kinds of stuff. So it'd be like, you know, 14 hour days on Saturday and then we'd, we'd do our church thing on Sunday and then we'd go back and work another nine hours on Sundays and, and it was exhausting, although trying to, to maximize the value of our house, to maximize and get more out of the selling price when it came time to sell our house. This is all happening, you know, while life is happening too and school is ending and we got all the end of the school concerts and all that stuff and kids are moving home from college and so we're pushing ourselves to the limit. And finally, we get it ready, and we have the, 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 the tour of realtors that come through the house to look at it, and we set up a first showing, and they're going to tell us what the house is worth, and they tell us, and it was quite a bit lower than what we had anticipated, which is a good deal for somebody else. But it just crushed us. We just broke. My wife actually, you know, I think the stress got, she got sick, and, and I got really crabby, which is the nice way of saying it. And, uh, and then I got sick, but, but we had pushed and pushed, hoping to get more out of our house. And then when we reached our limit, we pushed and pushed some more until we broke. And isn't that the way our culture works? Isn't that much of our reality and the way we live our lives? Overloading our lives, hoping for more until we get going faster and faster. And the, the thing about it is most of us, we really don't need more. We really don't. And all that speed isn't really helping us. Some of you, I know, have been pushed to your limits by circumstances that are outside your control. Either, either way, what we really need is rest. God's rest. Right? Not just physical rest, but this emotional, spiritual rest as well. And it is available and on its way. The author of Hebrews says, the Israelites missed out, but we don't have to. The promise of entering God's rest still stands. In fact, it stands because of Jesus' life. And Jesus himself invites us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. He says, if you'll just stop pushing for more, of what you don't need, or if you'll just turn to me in your time of greatest need, Jesus promises, I will give you rest. And this invitation is to everyone here, 
There's nobody excluded by this. I know that, that some of us feel like we keep tying ourselves down to sin or to shame or to guilt, but, but the author of Hebrews tells us that, that Jesus Life, death, and resurrection rescued us from all of that. And, it, and it, it rescued us from the sin that entangled us and from everything else that hinders us. He has rescued us. And so, so Jesus' invitation remains, no matter what, to all of us. He says, just turn away from that, just for, just for now. Just, just set it aside and come to me and find rest, find complete acceptance in me. All that other stuff. It's going to tire you out trying to prove yourself, trying to earn favor. It doesn't work. It just tires you out. When is the last time you accepted Jesus' invitation to simply come and rest? You have permission to rest, an invitation. Second thing I take from this passage is that we find God's rest when we anticipate more and we fear less. The author says this. He says, we are God's house. He builds us up if we hang on to our confidence and hope. In other words, it's God's job to build the house. It's our job to anticipate what he might be building us into as a body of believers, as a family of God. What kind of glorious work might he be doing? Dave Bartlett's actually going to teach about this at the gathering, and so I hope that you'll come back uh, for sure on that Sunday. Come back all the Sundays in between, but I just want to give you a brief <laughs> preview of that. Moses shared the same good news with the Israelites. God has rescued us, and he's leading us to the promised land. And as I was taught, Jesus saves, his kingdom is coming. And yet somewhere between the land devours people and the people are huge, the Israelites lost their nerve. Instead of staying focused and trusting what God said, they decided to trust what their eyes saw. And they allowed their fear to overrun their faith. This is what it means when it says the good news had no value to them. An entire generation lost their faith. A whole generation lost their faith and missed out on the promised land. And when we lose sight of God's vision and promise for our future, our faith in our lives shrink. This was their disobedience, a lack of trusting God in spite of all that he had done for them and given to them. And this is our disobedience, a lack of trusting God in spite of all he has done and given to us. Part of believing what God, and believing in God and trusting in Jesus, laying hold of his promises us for now and in the future, is a commitment to exercise our faith by practicing anticipation, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. It unleashes power. I'm actually taking some classes online in marriage and family therapy. I want to be better able to serve 
families and, and couples who are struggling in their relationship, and a couple of the approaches that I am really drawn to are different than the, than the traditional approaches that tend to focus on the problems. And instead, they focus on this, this vision for a future, this preferred future, and they look back in the life to see some of the strengths and resources that people can remember that they have and can rely on to help them get to this preferred future. And so they ask questions like, what would your life look like if these problems were simply no longer in the picture? They ask, what is the story you want to tell about your family in 10 years or 20 or 50 years from now? And the results of, of, of this approach, the research, it's, it's absolutely amazing. They're not disregarding the problem. They're not just ignoring the problem. But as couples and families look back and they see times when they've thrived and times of health, times when things have been flourishing in their lives, and they, they see the resources and the strengths that were there in that family, and they look ahead at this preferred future, they realize they can get to this future by employing these gifts and these researches, or, or, and the, these gifts and these resources. And all of a sudden, this, this vision becomes so empowering. What will happen becomes way more important and powerful than what has already happened. Because they get their eyes off of the scary circumstances and, and off of uh, the big failures that have been eating them alive and overrunning their faith. It gets their eyes back on to their future and their hope of a better future. It reminds them we can get there. This is what faith does. The author of Hebrews says faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It's the assurance of what we cannot see. Right? That's, we don't generate this on our own. It comes as, we, as, as God gives us this gift of faith. And as we look back and remember his faithfulness. And we let it stir up this anticipation on us that that raises our hope of the future, that fans the flame and feeds our faith. That's what spiritual anticipation is, the practice of resting and enjoying God and all that he has done for us and reflecting on all the promises of what he has yet to do. It's how we enjoy and employ the gift of rest, how we leverage that gift of rest to feed our faith. So God's rest is available and on its way. We find, uh, we find rest when we anticipate more and fear less. And just as this counseling technique suggests, anticipation requires remembering and reflecting. And these flourish best in times of rest. When I was in Mozambique a number of years ago, uh, I was able to go out and run in the countryside, uh, Angorangosa, a rural area, a couple times. And some of the kids from the village would come running up to the side of the road or up on the hillside, and they'd yell, Mazungu, Mazungu, which is their word for white man. <laughs> and it literally means one who's spinning around wildly, who's like going aimlessly without direction, a flurry of activity. It's hard to remember and rest when we are spinning wildly without direction, just a flurry of activity. We have to take time to rest if we're going to find time to remember and reflect. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I go out and run in the woods. It gets me away from that flurry of activity, the whirlwind of everything else that's going on. It gives me time to just quiet my mind. 
And oftentimes God will help me to remember things that he's been doing in me, around me, help me reflect on what he's calling me to do. The author of Hebrews encouraged us to remember earlier days when we received the gift of light, is the metaphor he uses. It will help you persevere, he says. Do you remember, those of you who are following Jesus, do you remember the first time that you encountered, maybe experienced, the love that God has for you? Do you remember a time when, when he comforted you or, or encouraged you or provided for you? Hold on to that memory. Let it, let it shape you. And then ask, how much more? It's one of Jesus' favorite teaching techniques. He would ask, how much more? So he, he would teach about uh, uh, the Father. You know, you, you people being, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, is what he said. But how much more does the Father in heaven know how to give good gifts? Or, or a bad judge knows how to deliver justice. How much more does God know how to deliver justice? If you've ever experienced a, a welcoming handshake or a warm smile, or a hug, how much more will Jesus welcome be when he welcomes us home into his kingdom? If you've ever experienced friendship, or intimacy, or joy, how much more will we experience in the kingdom of God? By the way, that's available to us right here and now. If you've ever experienced fellowship with God in a time of suffering or need, how much more does God want to share that with us now in our time of need? Remembering God's goodness grounds us in the assurance of his faithfulness. And reflecting on what that faithfulness means about, about his goodness leads us to anticipation and to asking how much more shapes our vision for the future. That's why remembering and reflecting and anticipating are such important Sabbath practices. How much more of this teaching? <laughs> Not much. I just had a couple practical things I want to leave you with, and we're going to be done. And the first is this. Uh, tr consider trying this. Make some time at the end of each day, just a few minutes, or at the end of your week, maybe, if you don't have time at the end of each day. Start small. That's fine. And ask yourself two questions. Ask yourself first, where did I feel most alive? Where did I feel most hopeful? Or where did I feel the presence of God most? And the second question would simply be, where did I feel least alive? Where did I feel most dead or despairing or absent, you know, absent from God? And you, you can write this down. If you, don't, you don't have to write this down. Um, you can get a journal. You can write it down if you want to. Don't, don't over-spiritualize it. Don't overthink it. Just write down what comes to mind. This is going to help your memory, first of all, which is great. That's a free gift, right? But it's also going to help you begin to recognize how has God's Spirit been at work in my life? How is God's Spirit flowing through me? It'll be powerful in your life. And second, what is it that you love? What do you really, really enjoy? What brings you uh, incredible joy? Maybe it's, you know, um, you're spending time with your family or with your children. Or maybe it's the sound of that lure smacking the water in a perfect cast on a beautiful day like today or yesterday, or the golf ball hitting the bottom of the cup. Or maybe it's a hot fudge raspberry shake. Right? 
whatever it is, go enjoy this. Take it on and, and enjoy it and receive it as a gift from God. And when you are done, ask, how much more might God have in mind for us? How much more of his kingdom? See, the rest of God is about more than just a Sabbath day. It's about more than marking the end of creation. It's also about a day to come when our salvation will be complete. Jesus will come back. His kingdom will be established here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your promises. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, um, help us to be people who take time and rest, um, not just for leisure, not just for recreation, which are so important and such great gifts, but to take some of our time and rest to remember, Lord, all you've done for us in sending us your Son, Lord, in blessing us, in, in walking with us, encouraging us, and help us to reflect on your promises for the future, to gauge your word and, and, and to understand what you have planned for us. May that stir up anticipation, Lord, that builds our hope and that fans the flame of our faith, that we might truly become, Lord, blessings in this broken world of ours. It's in your name we pray. Amen.